Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. I'm Kelsey Snell. I cover Congress. And Kelsey, today we are doing something a little bit different on the podcast. For the past few weeks, you have been talking to people behind the scenes, the people who make campaigns happen, fundraisers, ad makers, pollsters, to figure out how campaigns work, what it looks like under the hood. And I thought it might be nice to start with fundraising, which has changed a lot over the past decade. Yeah, absolutely. I talked to Republicans and Democrats who work in fundraising just to kind of get a sense of, you know, where those big dollars that have been pouring into campaigns are coming from. And how do you go about getting the small dollar donations that have started to become really popular in campaigns? Yeah, that have supercharged campaigns in a way. Well, let's start with the big dollars, the traditional donations, those big checks. Uh, Who did you talk to about that? Well, here's a name you probably remember, Anthony Scaramucci. Never forget. Never forget. He was the uh, White House communications director for approximately 11 days. Many things in time are now measured in Scaramucci's. <laughs> yeah, but he made pretty clear in our conversations that he is not a fan of President Trump or the Trump administration any longer. He sucks at the job. OK, and now you got three and a half years of data where he acts like a criminal He's bellicose with his rhetoric. But he is still a big Republican. And you know what? He, for years, before he had that job, and in part how he got that job, is that he was a major Republican donor, working for people all up and down the ticket from presidential campaigns, not just President Trump's presidential campaign, but many other Republican campaigns. And he knows a lot about how money is raised within the party. So what did he tell you about how that works? Well, he says it comes down to a kind of pyramid of people asking for money. At the top is the politician reaching out themselves to the biggest donors. And then there's an army of people working under them, working the phones at dinner receptions and business meetings, and they're all asking for cash. What makes somebody a good fundraiser or what's made me a good fundraiser is I am one part woodpecker and I am one part parakeet. And so I just want you to imagine me coming up to the side of your head and banging on it with my beak until you feel soreness on the side of your head. Usually I'm going for your temple and I'm asking you for money. And so I'm hitting you on the side of the head with persistence and then I'm repeating myself over and over again with the same level of enthusiasm hundreds of times a day. Are you walking up to them in the lobby of a hotel? Um, there's shrimp cocktail going around on a platter and everybody's got a martini. What? What? Like, How do you... Paint a picture for me about how that that looks. No, okay, Kelsey, you're the billionaire. You and I are working on the Romney campaign together. We're having some great success. You turn to me. Well, tell me a little bit about your business. Well, this is my business. And then all of a sudden you say, hey, well, you know what? I'm a billionaire. Your business is a great business. You know what you're doing. I'm going to give you some money for your business. Okay, that's great. I think a lot of listeners don't understand how that all works. They, I think they picture, you know, a call coming from a blocked number and saying, hi, I'm, you know, Mitt Romney. Uh, it's been a long time since we talked. Can I have a million? No, uh, no, Is no, that no. what it's like? No, no, no. Uh, Romney's probably calling the top richest people in the country. But, but if you're asking me how it works, uh, the politician himself or herself calls the main 10 to 50 people. And they'll work that phone themselves. And believe me, there's no shame in a politician's game. So believe me, they'll ask for hundreds of millions of dollars. And then they get a group of people underneath them to make the calls. That would be me in that situation. Here's a list, Anthony. Go call these 25, 50 people. Invite them to an event. Invite them to a seminar. Or just flat out ask them for money. Or invite them to a fundraiser 
where they can hear the politicians speak and they can meet other well-heeled people. And that's how it goes. That's the rotisserie circus of fundraising for politicians. There's a certain shamelessness there, isn't there? (laughs) Right. And, you know, I think when people think of big donors, they think about people buying politicians, right? So I asked Scaramucci about this, and he kind of waffled. And on the one hand, big donations, he said, can get a person access, but there are limits. Being a big donor is a direct line into an ambassadorship. Being a big donor is a blockade to getting into the West Wing. They don't want big donors in the West Wing. That's the dirty secret of the whole thing. Why don't they want big donors in the West Wing? Because big donors can't be bought. You know, when you show up in Washington, you you guys call it a swamp. It's not a swamp. It's a gold-plated hot tub, okay? And it's got no drain on it. And they're passing cigars. Look you straight in the face, Kelsey. They say, okay, can this person be bought? Or they can't be bought. If they can be bought, okay, that's great. Here's the crystal. Get into the hot tub with us. Let's smoke cigars. And we're going to do these deals. And we're going to do the Washington two-step together uh, so we can milk the process of the people's money. Do you feel like it's more powerful to be a donor than it is to be a voter? Well, you already know the Kelsey, you already know the answer to that. It's it's infinitely more powerful. Okay, let me ask something. You think Joe Schmo voter is as powerful as Sheldon Adelson? I mean Joe Joe Schmo okay, Joe Schmo voters calling the White House a White House operator. This is Joe Schmo voter. I want to speak to the president. He's getting in? I want to know if there's any one thing you want a normal, everyday person sitting at home who is interested in politics but has never been a donor. What do you want them to know about political fundraising that you think they don't know? It sucks. And as, as bad as you think it is, and as cesspooly as you think it is, it's probably worse than you think it is. That's what I want them to know. And that, you know, if we were really going to do the right thing for the American people, we would change the entire system and we would flatline that system and we'd make that system. uh, So there was a level of matching the donor power with the voter power. That's what we would do if we wanted the system to be fair. We wanted it to be more pursuant to the democratic process. So he talked about the system changing, but he says that becoming a big donor really did buy him connections to other big money donors. And he is the manager of his own hedge fund and donating money, he said, helped his business. He also went on to tell me that campaigns don't live and die by these types of donors anymore. And since Bernie Sanders and President Trump changed the game of raising money, the focus has become a lot more about raising money online. All right, well, we are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, Kelsey, you talked to Bernie Sanders, head of digital fundraising, um, about how her team helped drive that online fundraising transformation. This message comes from NPR sponsor Simon & Schuster, publishers of Rage by Bob Woodward. Rage goes behind the scenes of the Donald Trump presidency with new details about Trump's responses to a global pandemic, economic disaster, and racial unrest, and how these responses were rooted in the leadership style he developed during his first three years as president. Rage by Bob Woodward, wherever books are sold. Activist Aaron Dorr tells his flock of pro-gun followers on Facebook that he's tirelessly fighting for their Second Amendment rights. But if that's true, why do so many pro-gun Republicans hate him so much? Aaron Dorr is a scam artist, a liar, and he is doing Iowans no services and no favors. Find out on the No Compromise podcast from NPR. 
And we're back. And Kelsey, we heard about the big donors, but you also looked at the flip side here, the small donors, um, how those fundraising campaigns are run. Yeah, so Scaramucci there at the end, he was talking at the end there about matching voter power with donation power. You know, in many ways, that's what Robin Curran was doing for Bernie Sanders when he was running for president in 2016 and then again in 2020. She was digital fundraising director. And a big part of that job is making sure that a lot of people give a little bit of money, but doing it over and over. You know, it's a system that's changing the way politicians and Democrats in particular compete with each other to show how enthusiastic their voters are for their campaign. Bernie proved during both of his presidential campaigns, both in 2016 and in 2020, um, that you can run a competitive campaign for president without relying on wealthy donors. And he relied pretty much exclusively on lots of people giving small amounts at a time. And, you know, his 2016 campaign became known for the $27 average donation. And this time in 2020, um, we didn't even think it was possible, but arguably more grassroots than the 2016 campaign because the average was even lower. It was around $20 um, to his 2020 campaign. So that huge donor base that you're talking about, how do you get to them? I, I, I think a lot of people, when they picture fundraising, they think of a dinner where big dollar donors come and sit down and give you money. How, how do you go and find a person and convince them to give you a dollar or five dollars? So in addition to just the nuts and bolts of running an online acquisition program to find the people and to find the supporters and the people who are willing to, to get involved in the campaign, the key detail here is that it must be about building a long-term relationship with supporters. And that was what we aimed to do. We wanted people to stick around and stay engaged and be in the campaign for the long haul. Okay, so when she's talking about online acquisition program there, that's basically just the way that they go and find people online who might maybe support a candidate and then turn those people who could be supporters into actual donors. And that includes sending emails, uh, posts online, tweets, and all of those ads. Okay, and do you remember that one ad where Bernie Sanders like was looking right at the camera and it kind of got turned into a meme earlier this year? Um, I might have been dealing with impeachment at the time. I somehow <laughs> missed that meme. The, the meme passed me by. Please describe it. I think we can hear it. As the FEC fundraising deadline for 2019 approaches, I am once again asking for your financial support. <laughs> Actually, yes, that was one of my favorites. That was a direct-to-camera um, video that he recorded. Um, and so with the ads, we would run a variety of different sets of creative, and some of them would be still graphics. Some of them would be videos and direct-to-cameras. And yeah, exactly. That was the type of thing that we would run. You know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about this is the why of running a campaign with a large and dispersed donor base versus, you know, big dollar donors and super PACs, does that change the campaign? I mean, do, do you think that is a fundamental difference in the way that the campaign itself functions? I think it's honestly a more sustainable approach to funding a campaign, if you ask me, because instead of having a small group of people who are writing max out checks, and then after they write the max out check, they're, I mean, they're essentially tapped out. So I would argue that Instead of having the candidate have to dedicate time to travel all over the country to different cities in order to attend private fundraising events or perhaps having to block time, you know, on their schedule for call time when they're asking wealthy people to give money, um, you can run a way more effective and nimble and sustainable fundraising program when you have this large base of people who are giving small amounts at a time and those same people can give multiple times over the course of the campaign. And that was what we saw with Bernie. 
you've said that you you think that this is the best way to do it. I just wonder if you think that there are any downsides, uh, particularly if it's a person running for office who doesn't have the status as like the leader of a movement like Bernie Sanders does. Sure. I mean, I will say that it, it, running a small dollar program, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't you don't just snap your fingers and there you go. Like the small dollar donors are just lining up to, to step into your campaign. It does require investment. Um, and that is, I think, a question of how the campaign identifies its priorities early on. You know, we were um, fortunate during both um, the 2016 campaign and the 2020 campaign where the campaign leadership um, understood that we, you know, it requires an advertising budget to build an email list and to engage donors online. And that email list proved to be one of the most effective tools for essentially funding both presidential campaigns. I mean, the majority of the money raised came from the email program. So there just has to be an understanding up front that that it takes time and investment to build a small dollar program. Um, but if you run it the right way, it returns itself many times over over time. So I guess my last question is, What do you think people need to understand about political fundraising that you think is the most misunderstood thing that you hear when you're having a conversation with somebody outside of Washington? As far as fundraising goes, um, you know, people have the power to make huge differences in races, especially down ballot races. And of course, at the presidential level as well, um, when lots and lots of people are just giving small amounts at a time. So, Tam, that brings us to this presidential election where we've seen so many people donating on both sides. I mean, I'm thinking about these platforms like Act Blue and Win Red. Can you you kind of describe how that works? Yeah, and Act Blue and Win Red are not created equal at this point. Act Blue has something of a head start. So these are fundraising platforms where someone can go and give money to both a cause that they care about, an organization that they care about, or to candidates. It's all run through the platform. Uh, and uh, and it's really targeted at small dollar donors. Here's an example of this. Um, in the hours after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, um, about 30 hours from, from Friday night until the end of the day, Saturday after RBG passed away, Democratic campaigns and causes raised $100 million on that- Act Blue is such a huge amount of money. I mean, this election has so much money in it. I mean, you were it looking is at the a lot. Yeah, you were looking at the FEC filing so the Federal Election Commission had this deadline uh, for fundraising numbers to be reported. What did you see in those numbers? So the thing that really stands out in terms of the presidential campaign is that President Trump started his campaign very early, like as in in 2017 in January 2017. He had been raising money All of that time, a lot of it from small dollar donors, um, at least in the beginning. He had a huge war chest, they call it, or cash on hand advantage. And over the course of the summer, Joe Biden's campaign raised so much money that they overtook Trump. All that advantage that he had from two extra years of fundraising was wiped out. And now, according to numbers reported by the campaigns around the time of these FEC filings, um, the Biden campaign had more than $140 million more cash on hand than the Trump campaign. So what does that look like on the ground? In the month of August, Biden's campaign outspent Trump's campaign in television advertising nearly four to one. That's according to advertising analytics. And that meant that Trump was actually off the air. Um, He did not have 
ads on local television stations in key swing states, including Pennsylvania, Michigan, and New Hampshire. So campaigns are kind of like this ecosystem that needs the fundraising to survive. And the next part of what we've been looking at is ads and, you know, just how this fundraising makes the ads happen. Yeah. And uh, Kelsey, we are going to get into that with you next week. Um, But that is it for now. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. I'm Kelsey Snell. I cover Congress. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. 